morning, church. I just, I've got to tell you, I love church, (laughs) and I love the local church, and I love our expression of the Lord's local church, Mission Hill. Would you just give God praise for what he's doing in his church? Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter 4. We're going to look at the end of one of the most familiar stories in the life and ministry of Jesus. You're going to be very aware of this story when we get to that in just a few minutes. But we're continuing this series called You Asked For It. And some of these I wish you wouldn't have asked for it because they've been hard topics. Today is no different because today we're dealing with this subject of artificial intelligence. I'm not even sure I fully understand what that means. So we're going to navigate that and and see how do we as followers of Jesus even talk about an issue like this and why should we? But let's go way back to to get us started. When I was growing up as a child, I dreamed of a future that was filled with robots, with driverless cars, and with machines you could talk to. And when I was a child, that future was epitomized in a silly cartoon called The Jetsons. That's that's right. Some of you remember The Jetsons. Uh, He's George Jetson, his wife. I mean, you know, the the whole thing. And, And now we've kind of progressed. And I saw this happening as I was growing up. The the Pictures became a little more graphic, and and it got a little more intense because Arnold Schwarzenegger appeared on the scene as the Terminator, and he was no George Jetson. I mean, things were changing as we began to think about the future. But now the future's here, and it's kind of shocking, isn't it? Because we live in a future where robots do, in fact, clean our houses, At, at least maybe our floors. You've got one of those little robot vacuum cleaners that goes around. And, and, and the truth is, cars are becoming driverless. Yeah, I would have never thought it would be the case, but that, that's happening. And thanks to Alexa and Siri, these two ladies, I mean, we talk to machines and they talk back to us. Sometimes we don't even mean to talk to them, but they, they respond. All of this artificial intelligence. We're living in the dawning of a new age. And so some would ask, is this a sign of the ends of the times? I mean, you may, you may go to some churches and, and that's the focus that you get. You, you turn to places like Matthew 24 and you hear the words of Jesus where he talks about things changing and you think, this is the end. And others may just say, hey, you got to watch out in, in such a way that man, the machines are going to take over the, the robots are going to be in charge. Is this something we should fear? I've got to just pause and remind you there's a short answer to that question. Here it is. No. We know that because the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7, God's not given us a spirit of what? Fear. Fear or of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline, or as I learned that verse as a child, of a sound mind. So so you've got to think, then, what is our response? And and so all these issues we've dealt with, we've said, we want to take God's Word and look at everything we see in this Word through the world through the filter of God's Word. I want a biblical response to the things that are very real things that I face in this world. And 
And as I read God's word, I I certainly find out that the, the Christ followers should not be afraid, but we must be aware. We don't put our heads in the sand. We don't just hang out in our holy huddles and and, and pretend that the world's not changing and that there aren't challenges around us. So that's why we're going to talk about this today. And I kind of want to introduce the issue to you, uh, give you some biblical principles that affect a lot of different things in our lives, and then come back to this very familiar story. But, but first, let's define this, because maybe you're like me. You just need to, okay, what really is this thing called AI, artificial intelligence? And here it is. This is the dictionary definition. It's the theory and development of computer systems able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence, such as visual perception speech recognition, decision-making, and translation between languages. Artificial intelligence. So I mentioned Alexa, and so in our house, we have these crazy little things, and uh, you can talk to Alexa, and you can say things like, Alexa, what time is it? And this lady tells me what time it is. And uh, then I can say, Alexa, what's the weather going to be today? And She'll tell me the weather. And if I had it hooked up, I could say, Alexa, turn the thermostat down to, well, actually, so that I can pay my bill. Turn it up to 79 degrees. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this artificial intelligence out of this little box in every room in my house. Or you could take the iPhone and, uh, matter of fact, your iPhone's going to open up because it's going to have your face recognition that's artificial intelligence, and and you could say, Siri, what time is it? Oh, just kidding. Don't do that right now. Okay, so I I want you to understand this is all over our world. It's used in those even robotic vacuum cleaners some of you have. Did you know some of those have cameras in them, and, and they're mapping out that area around your house so that they don't bump into the same pieces of furniture, and if you're not careful... You're going to open social media and you're going to see some curtains or some furniture that would fit just right in your house. If you don't believe that happened, some of you are on Facebook and and, and so you walked around the house this week saying, I don't know what I've done to my back, but my back hurts. I think I, I need to get some help. And then you open Facebook and all of a sudden there were these ads for help for your back pain. Artificial intelligence all around us. Some have even turned to artificial intelligence for church. Did you know that 300 people showed up at a town in Germany back in June? There was a 40-minute sermon that included text generated by OpenAI's ChatGPT. There was a chat bot that was on the screen. There were avatars. Is this where we're headed? Am I going to be out of a job just like all the cashiers at Target and Walmart? Is that what's happening? What do we do with artificial intelligence. Elon Musk is a name a lot of us know in technology. He says it's a very double-edged sword. There's a strong probability it will make life much better and that we'll have an age of abundance. And there's some chance that it goes wrong and it destroys humanity. (laughs) How's that for a bleak outlook? But the CEO of OpenAI the company that designed the program, ChatGPT, we'll talk about in a moment. He said, the challenge that the world has is how we're going to manage those risks and make sure we still get to enjoy those tremendous benefits. No one wants to destroy the world. 
This was kind of the fear that C.S. Lewis had many years ago when he said, could it be that the final triumph of science will result in the abolition of mankind? I don't think that's going to be the case. But I do think we have to be careful, just like the people in Louisville, Kentucky this week. Did you hear about this? The school system in Louisville, they bought a new AI program to design their bus stops for all of the children. And so they threw out the window everything they'd used in the past, and they had this new artificial intelligence. There was only one problem. On the first day of school, it caused bus drivers to drop children off in the middle of nowhere. Apparently, the bus drivers didn't even notice that there were no homes around. They stranded children. Some didn't get home till after dark because of all the problems that were caused. Louisville had to cancel school for all of last week. Artificial intelligence, not so smart on that one. Reality is, regardless of how it affects our future, Christ followers are living in this world. We've got to think about what does it mean to us. I've been blessed on a few occasions to meet John Lennox. He's, he may be the smartest mathematician in the world. He's an Oxford scholar. He's written a number of books. But he, he wrote this little book called 2084, taking off of George Orwell's book, 1984. And he talks about the impact of artificial intelligence on people of faith and, and even how we think about end times. You may find that interesting if you want a, a deeper dive. I mentioned ChatGPT a, a little bit ago. Are you familiar with that? Let me see your hands if you're familiar with ChatGPT. Okay, this is an amazing thing. I, I thought about illustrating it, but then thought, no, let's not do that. Um, you can, this afternoon, go on your computer, your iPod, your, um, your iPad. You can pull up ChatGPT program, and you could, in a text box, ask it to do anything. For example, this morning about 6, I said this. I said, um, Write a sermon on artificial intelligence. Five seconds. It, it gave a detailed, outlined sermon. That's not what I'm sharing with you. <laughs> but if you'd like that one better, I can email it later this afternoon. I, I did then ask ChatGPT this question. I said, what is the one thing I need to know about AI? This is how it answered. Again, in like two seconds. The one thing you need to know about AI is that it's a tool created by humans to replicate certain aspects of human intelligence and decision-making through machines and algorithms. AI can perform tasks that typically require human intelligence, such as problem-solving, language understanding, pattern recognition, and decision-making. However, AI lacks consciousness, emotions, and moral reasoning, which are intrinsic to human beings. And therein lies the truth that I really want you to understand today as you navigate this new world in which we find ourselves. We learned last week that everybody you see, everyone you'll ever meet, every human ever born is created in the image of who? God. The same cannot be said of this device or of your computer. The truth is, as those of us who have the Imago Dei imprinted upon our life, the image of God, we're different. There's something special of us. This artificial intelligence will always fall short, though there are ways that it can be helpful in our lives. So let me just give you a, a couple of biblical principles before we get to our, our core story today. 
Number one, I want to remind you that every good thing that you ever encounter in life, every good thing, say every good thing, every good thing thing ultimately comes from God. So you recognize that. Several months ago, Anaya and I were sitting in our house, and, and, and I said, I want to show you something. And so I went to ChatGPT, and I, I, I typed in something like this. I said, write a story about this little girl, Anaya, who was adopted by the Purvis family. <laughs> and again, in like five seconds, it, it gives us this great story that, that I could read and that was entertaining. I mean, there are fun things that you can do that you can learn In fact, a U.S. senator used AI recently to mimic his own voice and to give a speech as an illustration of of kind of the capacity that these things have. They're good things. In in any area of society, I think you should look for those good things, but you should always remember, if you've got something good, it ultimately came from the Lord. We're so blessed to be a couple of miles away from one of the best cancer centers in the country. I'm so thankful for the doctors and nurses, the administrators that work at Moffitt and and all of our other hospitals. But I I want you to know this. While we're living in an age where technology is advancing and where cures for some diseases that we never thought of are becoming more hopeful, the truth is even in those kind of settings, we have to look and say anything good that we have ultimately comes from God. And the reason we know that is because of what James 1.17 says. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So here's what we know. In changing times, we have a God who never changes. And God is good, and God does good. So if we experience good things in life, we point to God. Got it? All right, here's the second principle. All truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. I think it's Augustine that first said that many, many years ago, but it's a biblical principle because we're reminded that Jesus simply referred to himself as truth. You remember that, right? John 14, 6, Jesus answered and said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So just like we said, if you've got something good in life, you know ultimately that came from God. If you experience something that is true, then that's God's truth. It's not going to be contrary to his word. Remember, that's the filter through which we examine everything in life. If it's contrary to God's word, then it's not truth. If it is true, it's going to be consistent with the word of God. But there's a third thing, and this is where this gets practical. It's always right to do right. Martin Luther King Jr. is one of the folks that said that throughout history. But that too is a biblical principle. For example, in James 4, 17, it says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin. In other words, if you know what's right to do and you don't do right, then you're wrong. Or maybe you're familiar with Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, so how how do we apply this? That means something like artificial intelligence. (laughs) There could be some challenges. Our oldest son teaches high school English. Do you know he tells me that he actually now has a program that he can run papers through to tell the probability of whether or not a student has used chat GPT or another artificial intelligence program to write the paper for them? 
Did you hear that, students? Don't do it. <laughs> You're going to get found out. What you cover, he'll one day uncover. Hey, so be careful. It's always right to do right. Just like, for good, bad, or indifferent, this pastor doesn't preach somebody else's sermons and proclaim to have a word from God. It would be wrong for me to just say, I'm going to get up at 6 in the morning and tell ChatGPT to write me a good sermon for the people of Mission Hill today. It's always right to do right. That's true with artificial intelligence, but it's true in any area of your life. I was thinking about this, and I thought about how we've approached all these issues. And so I asked, is there a Jesus story in Scripture where, where Jesus comes in contact with somebody who discovers there's one who has greater knowledge than they do. Well, of course the answer is yes. Everybody Jesus came in contact with discovered that. But I was immediately drawn to the woman at the well. Remember that story? I told you it's one of the most familiar. It's in John chapter 4. Jesus, the Bible says, had to go through Samaria. He had to go there because he had a divine appointment with this woman. And so Jesus finds himself thirsty and at a well where this Samaritan woman walks up and they begin a conversation. Now this is odd for a lot of reasons. It's odd that Jesus, a rabbi, would be talking to this non-Jewish woman. It's odd that this man would be talking to this woman. It's odd that this person who's of the children of Israel would be talking to this Samaritan. But see, that's what God does, doesn't he? He, he regularly bridges the gaps that, that we think can't be bridged. And so you find Jesus in this conversation. This lady comes up. She says, I'm thirsty. And Jesus says something like this. Well, hey, if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't be asking for water from that well. You'd be asking me for the water that's alive, that changes your life. I'm sure she still didn't understand, but she said, yeah, give me some of that. I, I want some of that water. And Jesus says, great, go get your husband. He was setting her up <laughs> because she said, ah, it's going to be a problem. I've, I've had five different husbands. I don't have a husband. Jesus said, yeah, you've had five different husbands, and the old man you're shacking up with now, he's not your husband. And she began to realize she was talking some, to someone that had knowledge greater than her. And see, it. In our lives, that's a place we all have to get to, where we recognize we're not know-it-alls. We don't have all the answers. And what I want to tell you today is chat GPT or artificial intelligence is not going to have all your answers. But there is one that knows more than you do. So this conversation ensues, and it begins to be a religious conversation, and, and eventually... This lady is so moved that it says she leaves her water bucket there at the well and she runs into town and she says, guys, you guys have got to come see this guy who told me everything I've ever done. He's the Messiah. And her life was changed. And then something interesting happens. Look at John 4 verse 39. I'm just going to read these few verses. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they then said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know this man is really the Savior of the world. Father, in the name of Jesus, that's my desire. That because we gather here, because your word is proclaimed, there would be many more that know that you, Jesus, are the Savior of the world. Lord, that those of us who know you're the Savior and you've saved us, Lord, that we'll leave more determined than ever to seek you for knowledge and wisdom and growth. Lord, we'd understand who you are as a sovereign God and what that means in our life. So give us in this moment what we need that we don't have. Teach us those things we've not learned. Make us different. And yes, again, Lord, I ask, save someone for eternity today. So let my words be your words and let my thoughts be your thoughts. Because you are the one who's redeemed me. And for that, I'll be forever grateful. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to give you a little bit of a different way to look at this familiar story. Just four statements that affect each of us. Number one, Jesus knows all and he has always known. We're talking about intelligence. We're talking about knowledge and maybe even wisdom. Two different things there. But I want to remind you that what we believe, what Scripture teaches, is that Jesus is God. And our God is omniscient. Our God knows all. But that's not a new thing. That didn't happen because of some development at some point in history or in time. God has always been our all-knowing God. In fact, I love how John 1 describes Jesus. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. It's literally a word, logos, that speaks of wisdom. In the beginning was the Word, and and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that's been made. It's describing Jesus Or maybe Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Or describing Jesus in Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I just want you to understand what Bible-believing followers of Christ believe is that all wisdom, all knowledge is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So when Paul is writing the book of Romans, we spent 30 weeks going through Romans. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, he ended that letter with these words. To the only wise God 
be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Now that's what the woman at the well encountered. She encountered God, we call it incarnate. God become man in the person of Jesus Christ. And she begins to realize things are different when he says in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. She begins to realize there's something different about Jesus. You can't talk about knowledge and wisdom. You can't talk about intelligence as a person of faith without recognizing that we worship a God who claims to be sovereign, who claims never to be caught off guard, who claims to know all and to have always known all. No matter how much human wisdom we gain, we will never match the knowledge of God. Do you understand that? Jesus knows all and he's always known, but here's where this gets personal. Jesus knows you like no one else knows you. And that's really relevant because especially at moments like these, I'm one of us. I know what it's like to to walk into church and feel like, man, if if people knew what I did this week or if they knew what was in my past or or they know how bad I've blown it. And, And so church can can sometimes be a place where we're just filled with guilt and shame because we never get past that moment. And it's in that context that Scripture reminds us that Jesus knows us like no one else knows us. There's nothing in your life that surprises Him. There's no hidden secrets. Now, there are lots of secrets in this room. Some of those are not good. There there are some secrets maybe that the people right next to you aren't aware of. There are secrets that husbands have from wives and wives have from husbands, that children have from parents and parents have from children. But nothing's secret from God. And In fact, that's why we believe what Proverbs teaches when it reminds us that, man, if, if we conceal sins, he eventually uncovers those sins. What, what we cover, he's going to uncover. But thank you, Jesus, by his grace, what we uncover, what we confess, he covers through his shed blood on the cross of Calvary. He knows us like no one else knows us. And that's why he said to the woman at the well, hey, go get your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. (laughs) And Jesus said, yeah, you're right. You have no husband. Fact is, you've had five husbands and the, the man you're with now is not your husband. What you've said is true. It's that that calls this woman to be captivated by the Savior And if you truly understand that God knows you like no one knows you, it will have the same impact on your life. You'll begin to realize that the God who spoke this world into existence, the God who created everything that is, knows you. That's why she left her water jar and she went and told the people in town. Verses 28 and 29, yeah, y'all need to come see this man who told me everything I've ever done. He knows you. This is consistent throughout Scripture. Even in the tough times, He knows you. Jeremiah 29, 11, that verse that some of you have on the wall in your house or you have 
kind of as your background on your cell phone. That verse that says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. That was in a difficult moment. That was with God saying, hey, you're going to hang out right where you are in the midst of these trials for 70 years, for decades, but I know you. I've got you. It's that same God that says, even the very hairs on your head are numbered. There's nothing in your life that he doesn't know you. But, But we don't stop there, do we? Not only does God know you like no one knows you, Jesus loves you like no one else loves you. That's the unspoken in this story. This woman in this unusual situation with this rabbi and this Jewish man finds herself in a situation where she's accepted and embraced and loved. And as a result of that love, her life was changed. She began to realize that all those things she had ever done were not good, and she needed a Savior, all because of His love. I don't want you to come to church and miss hearing this. God loves you. No matter what you've done, God loves you. No matter who you are, God loves you. That's the reason that the most famous verse in the Bible is known by people who have no understanding of the things we're talking about here today, but they would know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's why we have Romans 5, 8 that says, yes, God demonstrates his love in that while we're still sinners, Christ dies for us. The message of scripture is that God loves you. And I pray that you don't leave today without basking and bathing in the love of God. But once you experience the love of God, you have to respond. And there's really only one correct response to your knowledge that God knows you and your knowledge that Jesus loves you. And that is that you see him as the savior of the world. The greatest thing you can ever know is that Jesus is the Savior of the world. The greatest thing you can ever know is not a degree that you may be getting or have received. The greatest thing you can ever know is not some new knowledge that you gain because you read the latest nonfiction bestseller. The greatest thing you could ever know is not something you never thought you would learn because you typed it into a chat box on chat GPT. No, the greatest thing you could ever know is that Jesus is the Savior of the world. If that is true, that changes everything. But I need to tell you, there's a difference between knowing something intellectually and knowing someone. I I like to illustrate this with Abraham Lincoln. Let me see if you can help me. Um, First, a a question just for the group. Is is Abraham Lincoln still alive? No, okay. Um, Does anybody know what happened to him? Oh, he got shot. He's got assassinated. Okay. Uh, when he was assassinated, um, what was his job at the time? His president. Okay. Um, and then did he have any big accomplishments as president of the United States? Yeah, the Emancipation Proclamation, the freedom of the state. You guys, give yourself a hand. You're veritable scholars on Abraham Lincoln. I mean, you know a lot. You know about him. 
but not one of us know him. And here's the reality. I, I can go in my box on chat GPT and I can type in a question that results in all kind of information and I can gain a lot of knowledge. But, but that's not the same thing as knowing a person. And I would tell you, I, I've done a little research. For the most part, when, when I've typed in theological questions into chat GPT, I've been okay with the responses. It's probably filtering through the fact that it knows who I am and what my interests are. I mean, artificial intelligence, I mean, they're watching you. But ChatGPT is never going to know Jesus like you can know Jesus. But see, here's the problem. I've been doing this for so long, I realize there's a lot of us that have gained a lot of knowledge. And we can even quote the scriptures. But we've never made that 18-inch journey from our head to our heart so we know about Jesus like we know about Abraham Lincoln. But we don't know Jesus. A couple weeks ago, Kimberly and I celebrated 30 years of marriage, and man, that's a big accomplishment for anybody, so thank you. Yes, it's a very big accomplishment for her. <laughs> so about 32 years ago, about this time of year, we were walking onto a seminary campus, her and I both for the first time moving there, and we had all these orientations, just like some students are doing right now at USF and at colleges and graduate schools across the country. And so here we were in graduate school, we didn't know anybody, I had moved 20 hours uh, from my home. Uh, she had moved uh, about six hours from where she grew up. And we keep seeing each other in these same circles on that first day. And so it didn't take long for me to get to know her name. But the more I kept seeing her, you know, here's what happened. We kept going to the same free lunches and free dinners because we were poor. <laughs> And the more I saw her that way, then I realized, I, I want to know her. And I'm just going to tell you, this, this is not a PG message, but I just want to let you in a little bit. A couple years later, we got married, and, and we went on a honeymoon, and we got to know each other. Right? You with me? You okay? But guess what? 30 years into this, man, we're still getting to know each other. The greatest knowledge you'll ever have is to have that kind of intimate relationship with the one who is the Savior of the world. Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and verse 26. Listen to what he says. He's writing to people like us, to a church, brothers and sisters. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. In other words, you're not a Christian because of how smart you are, or because of how strong you are, because of how much potential you had. Those things may be true, but that's not what makes you a follower of Christ. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast in him. It is because of him that you're in, 
in Christ Jesus, who has become for us, listen to this, the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You want to grow, you want to gain something that makes a difference in your life, then boast in the wisdom that is knowing Jesus Christ. The one who's sovereign, who knows everything. But who leaves it up to us. (laughs) This is where it gets tricky, right? So let me let you into my life a little bit. Just keep this between us. Uh, In in just a couple hours, I'm I'm going to the airport with some of my friends from the church, and uh, we're going to get in one of those metal tubes uh, that has wheels and and wings, and we're going to drive a little bit in Tampa, and then by God's grace, we're getting into the sky, and we take off in Tampa, but we're going to land in Frankfurt, Germany about 10 hours later. Crazy. And you know what? When we board that airplane, it'll be just like every other airplane I've I've boarded. My life is in the hands of God. God is sovereign. He knows whether or not we're going to have a weather delay. He he knows uh, whether or not it's going to be bumpy. Please pray for my arm that it's not because if it's bumpy, my wife will be, her nails will be going into my arm and there'll be blood. He knows the safety of our flight. He knows every passenger. God is sovereign, but I want you to understand something. Lufthansa is responsible. It's it's the Lufthansa pilots and the the Lufthansa flight attendants that are going to be responsible and have agency on that flight. And nothing you do in your life will change the reality That God is sovereign, that he knows you better than anybody will know you, he loves you better than anybody will love you, and that he's the savior of the world. Nothing will change that. But you're responsible with what you're going to do with that information. And that's the most important knowledge you could ever have. So let's bow our heads together. So if you're a Christ follower, here's here's what I want you to do. Just kind of think through some of those principles. God, am I resting in your sovereignty? Um, Am I trusting your wisdom beyond my wisdom? Am I walking in grace knowing that you love me like nobody loves me? Um, Am I telling other people that you're the Savior of my world? Are the people around you seeing that the one you know has impacted you so much that they want to know him? I mean, that's a big question, isn't it? So for those of us, I'm in this category, those of us who are Christ followers, there's probably some things we need to think through and pray through as we kind of ingest and digest this message in God's word. But some of you here, here's the facts. You've never taken that 18-inch journey. If life ended today, 
you would not spend eternity in heaven with Christ because you've never, you've never trusted Jesus for your salvation. You've never truly had that moment that this woman at the well had. You've never understood that you're a sinner that needs God's salvation and, and that without trusting Him, you're going to be forever separated from Him. And so what you need to do before you leave this place today is it's what my friend Anthony did in the last service. You, you need to pray and begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to do that right now. Just you and him. You can use your own words or you could pray a simple prayer like this. Maybe you just pray this. Dear Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved. I believe you are alive, Jesus. And I'm ready to follow you. Thanks for dying for my sin. Now come into my life and take control. I tell him thank you. There's no magic prayer that saves us, but if you prayed that or something like that and that was your intent expressing that to God, I believe it changed your forever. You're now part of the crowd in this room that's joining me and forever in heaven. We don't know when that begins, but whenever it does, your you're forever is secure. And so I want to celebrate with you, and I'm not going to embarrass you. This is just kind of a first step. If, if you just prayed that prayer with me right where you're sitting, I want to give you just a couple of seconds. If you just prayed that prayer, would you just lift up your hand right where you're sitting right now, just across this room? That's awesome, young man. Others of you, back over here to my left, that's awesome. Others of you, yes, sir, right there. That's awesome. Praise God. Welcome to God's family. There in the back, welcome to God's family. Others of you, here in the front, ma'am, welcome to God's family. It's the most important thing you could ever do. Over there on the side, welcome to God's family. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. And I mentioned my, my new friend. This is what he did the last service. When I ended this time of prayer and we began to sing, sing, he, be, he began to take a step out of his seat. And this is a, a big man. And he came and took my hand. And he said, Pastor Paul, I just prayed that prayer. And I just gave him a big hug and welcomed him to God's family. That's what I want to do with you. I'm going to be standing here. There are other pastors from the church that are going to be standing here. This is the most important decision you'll ever make. And so we just want to welcome you to God's family and see if there's any specific way we can help you. We'll make sure you got a Bible, a copy of God's Word. Make sure we've got a way just to spend some time and talk to you and follow up. But if you just prayed that prayer with me, you raised your hand, I want to encourage you. Come take my hand. Come take the hand of one of our pastors and tell us this. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for several that just said they began a relationship with you. Lord, if, if I never see one of them face to face and, and, and this transaction just took place between you and them, it changed forever. So thank you for working in this time. Thank you. Thank you for... Thank you for doing that in the service. I didn't really even want to preach this message. 
And so, God, I just pray that you continue to draw us close to you, that you continue to help us to rely on your wisdom, and that you do that for your glory. And I thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Would you stand together with me? Some are already coming. You stand. You prayed that prayer or you didn't. God's working in your life. You come. Take our hand right now. You come.